Good evening. This is Lee Wilkins, your co-host for Thinking Out Loud, and I'm here today in the KBIA studio with Dr. Susan Flotter. Um, Dr. Flotter has worn many hats through her distinguished career. She is a professor emerita from the University of Missouri History Department, where she taught environmental history, among many other things. She's also worked with almost every environmental group in the state of Missouri, and we're here today to talk about two different subjects. The first is the LAD Foundation. Susan's going to explain to us what that is and why we should know about it. And the second is feral hogs. But we're going to start first with the LAD Foundation. So Susan, welcome to Thinking Out Loud. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. (laughs) Okay. So it's the LAD Foundation. What is it? (laughs) LAD is the initials of Leo A. Dry, uh, who is quite well known to many Missourians as for a half century, Missouri's largest private landowner Uh and extremely conservation minded. So those lands that he acquired, nearly 150,000 acres, uh, were all being, being managed in the public interest. Okay, so give us some idea, 150,000 acres um, would be the equivalent of how many Boone counties or what portion of Boone County? Well, it's, I think it would not be as large as Boone County. Uh, I think the state is about uh, 44 million acres. Okay. So we're not talking about an incredibly large area. But, but 150,000 acres of land for one landowner to have is a lot. It is. Yeah. It is. Okay, and so there's a foundation. And what does the foundation do? The foundation, Leo Dry began acquiring land in 1951. His intent was to get 25,000 acres of forest land so that he could uh, afford to hire one forester who he was told uh, could manage 25,000 acres. He already had 38,000 acres when he had an opportunity that was too good to refuse. Uh, It was a tract of land being sold by the National Distillers Products Company of oh New York. Uh, that was 90,000 acres, in Shannon, mostly in Shannon County in the Ozarks, in the watershed of, of the current river. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be uh, d- d- harvested and, and then the land clear-cut, essentially, uh-huh. and then the land sold off. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back you up for a minute. I know that you know that I spent some time in Oregon. So clear cutting has a real meaning to me. But for maybe for folks who are from this part of the world, wh- when you say that they were going to clear cut the land, what does that actually mean? It means taking everything merchantable from the land and leaving just what you can't sell can't oh. use. So and in- sometimes clear cutting it completely. Sometimes they clear it completely so that they can plant on that land or, or clear it for agriculture or some other purpose. And so by 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 not clear-cutting, you're essentially preserving, I don't, it, is it old forest or just an existing forest that's been well, there? Well, the maybe existing for... forest was not in very good condition because it had been essentially clear-cut back around the turn of the 20, 19th to 20th century. Okay. And uh there was very little of, of value on the land, although because it's very rough terrain in Shannon County and the Ozarks and the surrounding counties in which Leo Dry had land, 
uh, it's there were always pockets of, of really good, big, uh, old timber. Okay, so he acquires this land. He wants to acquire it in the public interest, which I'm going to assume means in yours and my interest. He wanted to at least manage it in, okay. in the public interest. Okay. He, and He, he welcomed locals onto, onto his land for respectful recreation, hunting, and, and things like that. Okay. Uh, and he managed his land. He wanted to prove that you could treat your land decently and not lose your shirt in the in the process okay. and and he wanted to use it as a kind of a demonstration to show that this could be done and to help lead the way toward a responsible natural resource based economy in the Ozarks okay so this is this is one of those demonstration projects where ecology doesn't necessarily have to compete with capitalism with one or the other of them losing. They can both kind of coexist on That's the same the plot of ground. That was his idea. Okay, so now that we have a little bit of, of history, what's going on today with this trust and why should we in, in Columbia and in the KBIA listing area be interested and concerned about it? Okay, I didn't finish the history. Oh, Leo I'm sorry. acquiring <laughs> forest land, acquired almost 150,000 acres. And in the 1950s, when land was real cheap, like $4.12 an acre, he wow. calculated he had paid for it back then. So you know that it wasn't in very good shape. <laughs> uh, then in 1962, he began, he established the LAD Foundation. Uh -huh. And that foundation was not to hold his forest land. That he continued to manage himself with his professional foresters for the next half century. But the LAD Foundation, in his mind, might someday get this forest land. Uh -huh. And in the meantime, he would use it to put a lot of the acres that he had been buying. Uh, he, he was known as the person who went out and saved areas that, no, that needed to be saved that nobody else would save. Okay. And many of these are today state-designated natural areas. Okay. And uh, three of them are state parks. All right. Leased to the state uh -huh. for nothing, for, for no money. Uh, so he, you know, there's very special, very special areas. So okay. the foundation initially had a family board and then a board with people who were not members of the family. And it had the responsibility for the oversight of these lands. And that was a 501c3, a charitable purpose nonprofit organization. Okay, so... It, he he does this. It sounds like in 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 many ways this is a more than half century commitment. Yes. By him as an individual, but also probably supported by a lot of his family members. Yes. So what's going on now? I'm I'm assuming that at some point here he passes away. Well, no. no. First uh -oh. he first he and his wife made the decision when he was in his upper eighties. Okay. In two thousand four. That he was going, that it was time to give the forest, all of this forest land that he had acquired, to the foundation. Uh -huh. and that happened in 2004. Uh, that year, Time magazine ran an article on philanthropy in America and had a chart of the, of the largest philanthropic gifts of the year, and the gift of Pioneer Forest to the LAD Foundation was one of those. Wow! One of the top five in the in the nation. Okay, so now I'm feeling really ignorant because a I was completely unaware of that, and let alone that it was that it was that kind of philanthropy. 
So the foundation essentially has had control of it since 2004, so basically about 15 years. Yes. And what has happened during that time? Well, we've continued to manage it according to his vision and, and his values, which are very estimable. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I've done a lot of scholarly work on Aldo Leopold, yes. uh, the, who's best known for his concepts of land health and a land ethic, and his book, Sand County Almanac, okay. about his experiences restoring land in Wisconsin. Uh, Leo Dry was an early reader of Sand County Almanac uh-huh. after it came out in 1949, and his wife tells me that when they began courting, it was the first gift he ever gave to her. So he'd obviously and he obviously he very much exemplified that that philosophy. Mm-hmm. So uh, he, he, we tried to exemplify that philosophy also in in the management of the foundation's lands. And uh, we're doing it a little bit more in the way that a, that a foundation would do it. Okay. We're trying to, to you know, do, follow all the best management practices of, of a nonprofit as well as best management practices on the land. So we now actually own, in addition to all those special natural areas and, and state parks, uh, we own uh, the 148,000-acre Pioneer Forest which is a business, and it operates within the foundation for a, a, this charitable demonstration purpose. And so how can I, if I'm in Columbia, how, I guess I have two questions. Can I go to the Pioneer Forest? Can, what, if, if I could, what are the sorts of things that I could do there and the sorts of things that I could see there? Uh, it's a large tract of, of very good-looking forest. It has <laughs> okay. big trees. It's managed on... Uh, according to the principles of uneven-edged management. So it's a, a lot of active regeneration in various stages, as well as very, very big old trees. And yes, you can go there. There are 65 miles of trails in the, in the largest block of the forest that uh-huh. was acquired from national distillers. We've been actively trying to, to consolidate and, and buy the, the remaining inholdings that become available for for us to acquire, and uh, it's the largest contiguous block of land in any ownership, public or private, in the state of Missouri, about 60,000 acres, and these trails are managed by the state park system, and yes, you can walk those trails. Okay, so I can walk those. With care. (laughs) Okay, so I, I can walk those trails. I can't take my horse on those trails, right? There actually is one horse trail from north to south through this big block. It's about 12 miles long. And uh, it is it, that is built actually by by horsemen by the Show Me Backcountry horsemen, uh-huh. and uh, that's a horse trail. You enter it on Forest Service land to the north, and you get off of it on uh, uh, or continue going if you want on Conservation Department land to the south. And how about if I want to take my all-terrain vehicle? I'm not going to mention my bird scooter. Um, but is is that allowed as well? No, or is it's it? not allowed on any of the trails or okay. any of the of the logging roads or other administrative roads. It's their all-terrain vehicles are only allowed on gravel county roads. Okay, and you talked about the logging roads. So I mean, I know there are different sort of philosophies, if you will, about how you manage a forest. I know that the forests in Europe 
are managed, managed and harvested regularly, not mm -hmm. by clear cutting. I know that there's a lot of controversy, especially on the West Coast, about, no, you don't cut down anything. You sort of let the forest manage itself. Mm -hmm. So when you say that the foundation is managing the forest, what all are, what are the sorts of activities that the foundation is allowing there other than these recreational activities? Well, there there is harvest. Okay. And we make it a point to get to every harvest tract, and these tracts are usually by by section, you mm -hmm. know, 640 acres, sometimes a little bit more or a little less because we don't always own all of the acres in a section. But uh, the, the intent is to get around to those about approximately every 20 years, okay. once every 20 years. And, and they don't take out uh, everything that's merchantable by any means. The philosophy has always been you take the worst and leave the best to continue growing. Uh -huh. And by the best, I'm assuming you mean the healthiest? Yes, Okay. The healthiest, the biggest, even the oldest of species that will remain, you know, white oak, for example, is a very long-lived tree. Mm -hmm. We've got white oak that's more than 300 years old. Wow. Still growing. Uh, red oak, which is a wonderful species for a lot of, of purposes, uh, flooring and, and cabinetry and things mm -hmm. like that, uh, is not as long-lived. It'll live about 70 years, maybe a little more. So the foresters have to make a decision. Will that oak still be alive the next 20 years from now when I come back, or do I need to take it now because it's, it's reached its useful life? Okay. And in, in the process of sort of managing the forest in this way, I assume that there, in addition to trees, there are lots of other things uh, animal, vegetable, I don't know about mineral, they're also growing in, in the forest. Um, what sorts of, of, of things, do, if I go for a walk, what sorts of things am I likely to see? Well, one of my really favorite trails, uh, it, you're, it's, you're looking, you're, you're walking through a wonderland. I mean, it's, it's ferns along the, along the, the, the trails, lots of different species of, of trees and of ground flora. Uh, very little uh, in the way of exotic invasive species that are such a problem uh -huh. all over the state. And in my uh, yard. And we try to stay ahead of that. Uh -huh. uh, and there's a lot of, of wildlife. You're not going to see all of it. We have black bears. In, okay, in them I would not like to see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we have the whole range of, of species. We're part of the elk region. The elk are mostly staying at Peck Ranch where they get fed by the conservation uh -huh. department. So uh, they, they, we haven't seen very many on our land but if yet. I, but if I go be. out either very early or very late, do I hear them bugling ever? Uh, you could. You could. I haven't. Uh, but I don't get to those parts that are closest to, to the Peck Ranch mm -hmm. area, which was the reintroduction area. Uh, but th there are, there's always a lot of uh, deer, mm -hmm. but you don't necessarily see them right. regularly. And uh, lots of birds of, of all sorts. So it's, for people who are birders, yeah, this would be a wonderful for place. Especially for interior forest birds. Uh -huh. uh, it's a very good place for that. And, uh, you know, the, there have been studies of the insects and the arthropods, the, all the critters that live in the soil. Uh -huh. And we've got that in, in abundance. The soil isn't very good. That's 
it's the whatever is left on these chert metal hills of the Ozarks, uh, these limestone pieces of chert that, right. that, that characterize so much of that landscape. But uh, it's, so it's not a rich soil. It's not considered, by foresters talk about site value, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, where trees will grow really tall and, and really fast. Right. And that's not the Ozarks. But uh, we, we do have a lot of big white oaks that have been growing for a long time and that are harvested mostly for uh, stave bolts to make barrel staves for wine and uh, distilled spirits. Okay. Um, hence the original owners as, as a distillery company, yes. probably in part. Yes. All right. So we talked about what I can do when I go there. Let's say for other reasons that I want to help out the trust. Um, what are some of the things that I that I can I can do just as a citizen? Well, we have a lot of volunteers who help with our trail system. Okay. The very first segment of the Ozark Trail that was planned to go all the way from St. Louis into Arkansas through mm-hmm. the Ozarks, the very first segment of it was built in the 1970s entirely by volunteer labor from the Sierra Club. Okay. So a lot of Sierra Clubbers have worked on Pioneer Forest. They've done it every year since then. They come back every year uh, for about a week or so. That's uh, a 50-year commitment. The, from all <laughs> over the state and and do trail building or maintenance, mm-hmm. uh, largely on Pioneer Forest, also for other in-state parks and other places. Uh, we have volunteers from the Ozark Trail Association, uh, AmeriCorps, which are, you know, it's not entirely volunteer, but they don't get paid very much. much. <laughs> uh, but they are wonderful. They're, they're wonderful at trail work and trail, trail maintenance. Uh, we don't solicit cash contributions because the income from the forest runs the foundation as well as the, the, the staff for the, for the forest and foundation. But uh, occasionally we'll, we'll be given and even seek money through grants for various special kinds of management on some of our lands, some of the some of the uh, prescribed fire activity, for example, mm-hmm. clearing glades of of cedar. And cedar is not an exotic species. It's, it's eastern red cedar is native to the Ozarks, but it's a problem on glades, and <laughs> you have to you have to cut it off, and then you have to use fire on those glades to maintain them and maintain the whole uh, diverse flora of mm-hmm. of that those glades in the Ozarks. So is there a website? The, yes. It's, if you look up L-A-D-Foundation, not, not no hyphen after the last okay. D, okay. Foundation, uh, you'll get to our website. Or you can go through and, and look up Pioneer Forest, Forest, and you'll get there too. So obviously managing it is part about doing what's good now, but you've talked about there's there's a 20-year window where the foresters have to think about is this tree going to be viable in 20 years and and for me knowing you a little bit 20 years is also we're looking at the impact of global climate change we're looking at the impact not necessarily in the Ozarks but who knows of of urbanization or at Mm -hmm. least the changing growth patterns um, of people in the state of Missouri Um, what are the sorts of things that the foundation is anticipating along those lines well we have about 30% of the, the foresters measure in volume, standing volume of saw logs, merchantable-sized trees. We ha- 30% of the forest is shortleaf pine. And shortleaf pine is it's the only pine species native to Missouri. 
And it is one that is expected to do fairly well under uh, climate change. So we're fortunate on, on that score. But we're not fortunate because there's n no market in Missouri, at least no high-value market, for shortleaf pine. So it has more value standing there and whistling and the rustling in the wind than it and and for its for its aesthetic value, than that it does if we were to cut it at at this time. So one of the things that we would like to be able to help uh, happen, and we're not sure that it's even feasible, is to develop a market in Missouri. There are markets for the South. They're just Missouri was. Shortleaf pine was the species that people were trying to harvest at the time that, that all of the forests were being so severely degraded at the beginning of the, of the 20th century, okay, uh, and more than 100 years ago. All right. And those forests went up into, like, are those the same forests that went up into, like, Michigan and Wisconsin? Is it, did they go that different, far north? Different species. Different tends, species. Okay. White pine, red pine, various other kinds of pine. Okay. So at least we've got one species in the forest that when we have global climate change and the climate gets a little warmer, it's going to grow well, even if we can't figure out how to capitalize we on hope, it. We hope so. <laughs> okay. Uh, there are problems with disease. Several years ago, we had uh, our white oak started, some of them in certain places, started dying off. And uh, there was a, a period of several years in a row of very severe drought in the Ozarks. Yes. And that must have stressed the trees. I don't think they yet know exactly why they were so many were dying. It was happening all over. Uh, I have four big white, had, had big white oaks in my yard in Columbia, and four of them died. Wow. at that same time, so uh -huh. I know it was happening. And uh, it was of great concern. Now it, it doesn't seem to be as much of a concern anymore, so we just have to hope. But, but there can be problems with disease and, and uh, even increased fire if you get drought conditions. Right, because then everything gets dry yes. in the underbrush. Okay, so again, this is the L-A-D Foundation, all right? Pioneer Forest. For folks who are interested, go there. And or if you're really interested, take your feet or your horse and take a trip to the Ozarks and see what the forest is all about. Yeah, I can tell you where it is. It's actually we surrounded the new Echo Bluff State Park mm -hmm. that has all these wonderful lodging facilities. If yes. you like that sort of thing. So if you if you if you know where that is in Shannon County, uh -huh. uh, the, the, there'll actually be a brochure that you can pick up right there for the what is called the Roger Pryor Pioneer Backcountry, and it's 65 miles of trails. Okay, all but right. The trails are not completely signed. These, this is a kind of a primitive hiking experience, so you have to be sure that you have uh, adequate maps and know how to navigate. And as we say on so many things, maybe buddy up would be a good idea. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, Susan, in the little bit of time that we had left, I know when we were talking about these, you said, well, there might be some developments about feral hogs. So let's only change topics almost completely and talk a little bit about feral hogs in Missouri. This is a big problem in the Ozarks on public lands and private lands. There have always been feral hogs in this country ever since Europeans came over and brought them over for sustenance and turned them loose in the woods. 
but they've not been as much of a problem. They've been, they were dying out during the 20th century uh, until about the 1980s when uh, there began to be a hunting, a tradition of hunting these hogs with dogs uh, in the southern states and uh, as, a, as a sport. Okay. And the numbers just mushroomed. They increased dramatically in the southern states. Texas alone is ex- is thought to have as many as three million feral hogs. They they are very prolific uh, reproducers. They mm-hmm. can they can reproduce have a have a litter every every six months or so, and year round. And they can have as many as twelve to eighteen pigs in a litter. So they just they once they get established, they just they just mushroom all out of control. Missouri is trying to get ahead of this, okay, uh, and it is the only state that is using uh, various partners, public and private partners, mm-hmm. to try to deal with this problem. It's a, it continues to be a real issue because uh, there are hogs that get released intentionally or, or in other ways get into some of the wilder areas of the Mark Twain National Forest, which okay. is our big national forest yeah. in the Ozarks. And uh, some people actually intentionally release the hogs there uh, in order to have a population that, that they can hunt with, with dogs. Okay. Uh, so the Mark Twain last year was uh-huh. considering, uh, in fact, this past summer, was uh, proposing to close the forest to hog hunting. Okay. Hogs are not a native uh, species of, of wildlife, so the Conservation Department can't manage them on a statewide basis. Okay. Uh, but they can and have closed conservation department lands to hog hunting. Okay. We have closed following suit and it being a part of the large partnership, this voluntary partnership that's trying to deal with the problem, we have closed Pioneer Forest to hog hunting. And uh, the their, the Corps of Engineers has closed some of their lands. The Mark Twain wanted to follow suit. Okay. But the problem is that the hog hunters, especially those who like to hunt with dogs, hog doggers, they're called. Oh, my. <laughs> uh, have been lobbying, and they're extremely effective at getting to political leaders. Okay. In Washington, with the Nas- U.S. Forest Service. Oh, my goodness. Okay. In the state, with the county commissions and, uh, and, and, and other public officials, some of them in the, in the state legislature. And uh, it's just very you know, they're winning the day, even though when the Mark Twain announced a public comment period, we understand that 70% of those who commented were commenting in support of closing the forest to hog hunting and in support of what the Mark Twain was trying to do. We still don't know what, uh, the, whether the Mark Twain is going to go ahead with this closure or not. Uh, in the meantime, and and that will be the big news when it happens. Uh huh. But it it hasn't. We happened. don't know yet. It hasn't happened yet, and uh, we're, you know, we we keep hoping that it will happen and that they will close the forest because it's very difficult. We have a lot of common border in Pioneer Forest with various different units of the of the Mark Twain. Yes. And the the hogs can easily you you, you get rid of them in one place, and the most effective way to get rid of the hogs is by trapping. 
trapping whole sounders. A sounder is a social group or a family group of okay. hogs. Uh -huh. And it can be up to, you know, it can be 10 to 30 hogs, including piglets. And uh, the, the best way to do it is to have these big traps that are suspended and, and you, you bait the hogs to the trap and, uh -huh. and then when, when you get them there, and it sometimes takes weeks until you can finally get a whole sounder there. I would imagine. By remote control, you can trigger that trap to crash down and surround those hogs, and then you have to dispatch the hogs and dispose of the, of the carcasses. But uh, it's, it's very difficult to do when you constantly have more infusion of hogs. And when the hog doggers learn where you are baiting a trap, and they go there to find hogs to hunt. I and see. And then they start hunting them, and they scatter the hogs. And uh, they become, you know, for a time, the, the, the sounders are broken up, and the hogs are scattered all over the place. They spread to new areas. You never know where they're going to turn up the next time. And they love all the special areas that, that uh, environmentalists are trying to restore and protect, like fens, springs, uh, uh, riparian areas along streams. I assume that's yeah. because there's a food and water source that's, uh, how can I say this, relatively easily available without a lot of foraging? Is that, yes. Is that right? Yes. They, in, during acorn seed, when the acorns are dropping, and the Ozark forests are lot, largely oak, uh, they've got plenty to eat with the acorns, but at other seasons they're looking for other things and they're rooting in the in the ground, and and really making a mess of places. They root in in farm fields too, so that people mm -hmm. who have pasture or are trying to grow crops on farms in the Ozarks are very upset about the hogs, but uh, and they want them to be eliminated. But they're likely to hire these hog doggers to come and shoot their hogs, and it's become a business. Hiring, you know, shooting them on private lands, and and also uh, guiding other hunters who are invited in from out of the state to come and enjoy hunting of hogs in in Missouri. So they, you know, the interest of those people is in maintaining plenty of hogs in order to maintain their either their sport or their business. Right. So I'm, I'm going to try to refrain from the whole bunch of puns that have occurred to me while you're talking. I do have I do have one question. Are they I know that they're dangerous to the landscape and and for a lot of reasons. Are they ever dangerous to people? Uh, I suppose a boar with long tusks could could be uh, and they can certainly be dangerous to some of those dogs. Yeah, uh, you, but, you saw my face when you yeah. said that. So, <laughs> uh, these are specially trained dogs that they that they use for this purpose. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's 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 a real problem, and if we don't get control of it, you know, people in Columbia and north of the Missouri River don't tend to have heard about this problem. I very think much. that's correct. Yes, even though there have been several small areas with hogs, for, and they've been extirpated, but. But they have been found in a number of counties north of, of the Missouri River. Uh, they'll, it'll, only, it'll take less than a decade if, if, if the efforts at control that the Conservation Department and the U.S. Department of Agriculture uh, and wildlife species officers who are trying to do this trapping, uh, if, if, that, if, if the Mark Twain doesn't get its act together and and sign that closure of the Mark Twain to hog hunting, uh, it's possible that 
other agencies will have to reevaluate whether they're going to even keep up all of their efforts at trapping and okay. control. Okay. And when that happens, it'll be less than 10 years, and there will be hogs everywhere in Missouri. So in addition to seeing the armadillo by the side of the road, which is sort of a new sight to me in the last decade, I might also be seeing feral hogs on my property or near my property. Yes, and they'll be tearing up your property, your garden, your your you know vegetable garden, flowers, whatever you have. Right now, I'm I'm wanting them to stay away from my terriers. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Susan, um, in in a lot of ways, you've given us a great deal to think about. Um, from from land trusts and the managing of forests and trying to keep forests for. Um, conservation purposes and recreational purposes uh-huh. to how I keep these feral hogs out of my uh, my part of Missouri, mm-hmm. if that's something that people are interested in. So again, thank you so much for coming to Thinking Out Loud. This is Lee Wilkin, your host. Good evening. Thank you.